podcast covered by the Utah Fraternal Order of Police. My name is Ian Adams. I'm the executive director of the Utah FOP. Uh, with me today and for every day is going to be our good president, Brent Jex. Hey, everybody. We also have together uh, Brett Rawson. He's our chief legal advisor for the Utah Fraternal Order of Police. First legal hire and hero of the order. Say hi, <laughs> sir. How you doing? Great, great to be here. Uh, this is a new event for us, a new chance to talk to our members. As always, we want to hear from you uh, about your concerns and questions, but mostly we're going to be covering what's affecting Utah FLP, what's affecting its members, and most importantly, how we can make the profession a better place for everyone. So I was just talking to Brett, and it sounds like you have a new podcast as well. I do, yeah. We're, uh, we've been on the road with uh, podcasts. Uh, we are calling Everyone an Expert. And the idea um, on that show, you know, really it's a human interest um, type of a show. Uh, our adage is everybody's an expert in something. And so everyone an expert, it may talk to uh, law enforcement officers, but it may talk to, to folks that uh, are entrepreneurs, have businesses that are interesting, um, expertise in, you know, skills of, of different kinds. We'll be talking arts, politics, science, um, you name it. We'll probably have, you know, discussions about ufos yeah i mean the idea is <laughs> that that law enforcement officers you know they may be interested in a few things beyond just what they do at yeah, work beyond the blue right that's right yeah i think that that's an important point that um we want to make here in our communications too is this you know policing extends past the work past the badge it's a culture for sure but you know i know police officers who are uh uh consumed by their hobbies and their outside jobs. So speaking of uh, men who consume my thinking, we have with us Brad, formerly of the Utah Highway Patrol and Department of Public Wait, Safety. Wait, there's no Utah Highway Patrol anymore? <laughs> I, I, you know, I talked to the troopers this week. I hope it was. Okay. I hope they, they were the, the Oh, for, Patrol. formerly of the, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Okay. Much yeah. love to our trooper friends. <laughs> Say hi, Brad. What are you doing these days? Just enjoying being retired and not dealing with law enforcement. Well, that's mm -hmm. a weird thing to say for someone who's still so uh, important to the to the order and to his uh, his local lodge. So Brad is still the president of the uh, Troopers Lodge. Jex, what number are they at? 32. Yeah, they're lodge number 32, and they've got – they're one of the biggest lodges in the state. Yeah, that's kind of new. DBS Lodge. And, um, well, they're not new, but the the fact that they're so large is, is – become apparent how's that happened recruitment and members use utilizing the services of fop and the law firm and word spreads and guys that thought i'll never get in trouble so i don't need a lawyer find out <laughs> you need a lawyer sometimes well and that's the thing is that everybody's got to remember that it's not the it's not the same profession as when we started yeah you know the i was thinking the other day on on the beginning of my career, practical jokes, you know, those things that, that we used to be able to do. Mm. Um, it's, it's not the same environment. It's not the same administrative environment. And so the things that we used to, to do back in the day before, well, before Brad well, and I retired, you right there to uh, stop talking, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps have a conversation with me later. Yeah. No, it was all, it was all good. Uh, all good fun. You know, we, uh, we had one guy that was, and this is back in the days of the old rotating light bars, 
you know, this is pre-LED. This is the, you know, it has the center cap with the white light in there, and it's the dome. And we have a guy that's in the that's in the Marines, very, very passionate about it. I mean, he's a dedicated, diehard Marine. And I guess once a Marine, always a Marine. Yeah, I don't know if there's an um, type. And so somebody on the shift thought it would be a good idea, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to reveal who it. Yeah, I think who that's, it was. I think that's, that's probably a, best. Kind of a lethal threat if it were to yeah. name were to come out. Oh, he knows who it was, but <laughs> uh, put a transparent navy sticker inside the dome of the of the light bar, and he drove around with it for <laughs> a few days. <laughs> and we were on a we were on a traffic accident at uh, 7800 South and Bangor Highway. And he's back setting cones, and we put it on the on the back, so you mm. couldn't see it from the front, so he wouldn't see it like on a traffic stop. He would have to be behind the the car to see it. And he he's setting cones, <laughs> and as he's walking back towards his car, he sees it. And next thing you know, he's up on top of the car, ripping that center dome <laughs> off and ripping that uh, that transparent sticker out. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And so that's part of the part of the reason for this this podcast is one, getting information out to our members, but it's also to to highlight some of the changes in the profession and to see if we can get some of that that lighthearted conversation back into it because it's it really seems like a little bit of a change. You know, it's not we're not hiring the same type of cops that we were back when when we started. And so all of this is to just help everybody navigate through the through the life so that you can get to that uh, that finish line that Brad and I are enjoying. Yeah. You do both seem to be enjoying it. Um, and I think you're right. The profession seems to have changed. Um, has any of that been for the better? Yeah. I I think uh, – Wow, that was a long pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to, I had to bounce long years a, to, a few things. Yeah, I guess. To- you know what I, what I thought about was I remember hiring on – and being a brand new guy in 1998 and having 20-year guys go, it's not the same. You know, you mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, – we had just barely got dash cams. And it was this whole freak out on, on dash cams. Sure. And they were just like, oh, you can't do this anymore. But I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any different. I had nothing to compare it to. And so I found myself just prior to retiring last year – Saying those same words to new guys. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how you can come into this profession now. Everything's changed. And and it kind of hit me that, well, they don't have a reference point either. And so I think a lot of what we view the what we view the profession as and where it's going, mm-hmm. we're looking at it from a from a comparison angle. And we're comparing it to to stuff that we that we knew in the past. And I'm sure that the that the old guys when we hired on are saying the same we're saying the same things back then about our generation as we're saying about the next one and it's probably gone back for generations you know and so i think keeping a little bit of perspective on on what we do and what we face is critical yeah i think that's right i think you're onto something when you talk about not having a reference point that what's no, what's new and normal for you in 98 versus an officer who started in 2018 it's a lot of years to go by, a lot of societal change. One of the things that I see that has changed real locally here would be the um, the level of legal 
advice and coverage that we've been able to provide through the Utah Fraternal Order of Police. And, you know, sitting to my right here is my very favorite lawyer in the world. I have, I have one of them or two. <laughs> Brett Rawson is, I think, ultimately responsible for a lot of those changes. Uh, Brett, what do you think's changed since Brett and, and, and Brett, tell us about your own policing experience. Well, I, um, you know, I was a reserve and that was something that I did uh, several years after becoming an attorney. So I was a full-time attorney and uh, was representing law enforcement officers in the context of Section 1983 civil rights lawsuits, you know, against cities and their law enforcement officers, usually attached to some sort of critical incident, uh, mm. fatality usually, and enjoyed representing cops. I just, I liked it. Decided to go to police academy, went there and and uh, ran around the track with the 21-year-olds and you know, I was the old man, and uh, but really enjoyed it. And afterwards, decided to actually become certified and and went to work uh, at a local municipal law enforcement agency. And um, for seven years, uh, mostly in patrol, little bit of little bit of detectives doing backgrounds and that sort of thing. But um, really, really enjoyed those years. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it was it was really an opportunity for me to learn more about my clients kind of you know understand some of what they go through i say some of it because as a reserve a hobby cop you know if i didn't want to go in i didn't have to go in mm -hmm. so that's a big difference that's a big psychological difference these guys that you as you all know here uh they they go to work every day you know uh rain sleet or shine they're they're getting up at oh dark whatever and and you know strapping on the vest and going so I, I got, I like to say, I got a little taste of it mm -hmm. and that was good. Yeah. And Brad, when, when did you start in the job? Uh, hired on September 11th, 95. <laughs> I think that might have been an omen. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. And when did you get out? Uh, I don't know. 22 years later, whatever yeah. that equates to time doesn't mean anything to I, anymore. I, I honestly I couldn't tell you what math problem on you. I don't know what day of the week it is. Yeah. And I love it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, what keeps you busy when you're not wrangling uh, FOP troops? Well, I'm still the president, so I got to do that kind of stuff. And uh, I sleeping in a trailer with me sleeping in a trailer <laughs> making, we can talk about that maybe offline <laughs> making brett scared to go to sleep <laughs> tell a few stories right before bedtime and then he just stays awake all night <laughs> cradling I, was, revolver. I did want to uh, congratulate Jax on coming up on like the one clean story that uh to, to lead the episode with that was impressive well it was a challenge issued and and i thought well I can probably pull that come, off. Come up with one, yeah. Come up with one. But that won't be happening anymore, correct? Correct. Because okay. I, I think right now, I think would be a good transition to maybe a a bubble story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I saw him just the other day and I, I was thinking about that. Uh, yeah, I could tell bubble story. So, no shit, there I was on patrol. <laughs> <laughs> we, we uh can we just save that intro for every story yeah we're just we're gonna need that in the can just do okay. the title yeah <laughs> and uh we had i was i was not an fto but jex over there was at the time and we won't mention any names because i don't want to you know put anybody he, off bubbles knows who's who yeah bubbles, bubbles knows who the hell bubbles is so oh. Uh, I was a canine officer, and uh, I think I was running the crew that night. Um, maybe the sergeant was off. Anyway, we came up with a, a warrant we wanted to hit, and uh, I invited 
Jackson, his new recruit, up to uh, help out. Let's serve this warrant. Let's get him a felony warrant. Check a box on the FTO forms. And it was cold. It was really, really cold that night. This is late at night. And uh, we we decided to uh, muster up at a like a little track station up there out west. And uh, all of us got there, maybe nine, eight, nine of us. But we're waiting on waiting on Jackson, his new guy, to find the place. Finally, they, uh, you know, during the wait, of course, it's the middle of winter. I drink a lot of coffee, so I get outside and do what I need to do to make sure that I can survive the next twenty minutes without. Uh, well, but what's more important is is where. Oh, where that, yeah, where that happened. Well, I cleaned my cleaned my front tire uh, of snow and ice with a. <laughs> I took a piss. And uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, I Jack's fine. I get on the horn with Jack's like, you guys coming? He's like, yeah, we'll be there. He's having a hard time finding or whatever. So he gets up there, hops out of his car, brand new guy, good friend of mine today. But at the time, I didn't know him. And uh, with a mechanic history. He was, <laughs> yeah. He used to he be a mechanic. Had, he, he, had, he had come from a mechanical background, good with his hands. <laughs> he, he, uh, uh, he comes up and says, hi, apologize for being late. I'm like, oh, no big deal. No big deal. I was like, I heard you, uh, you're good with trucks. I was driving my truck. He's like, yeah, yeah. I, this is used terrible. To work, I used to work on trucks. I walk him over to the, uh, walk him over to the front of my car. I point out like, you know, the liquid underneath my car. And I say, you got any idea what's going on with this? And before, like, I didn't think this through. I got to, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a smart man at times. <laughs> and uh, I said, says you know, the PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, you got any idea what's going on with my truck here? I know it's not a diesel, but if you could help out. And uh, he, with, before I could stop him, swipes his hand through the unknown oh. liquid, <laughs> which, you know, to my, to, to my credit, I was taught if it's wet and not yours, don't touch it. <laughs> Apparently they didn't teach that at the academy anymore. He swipes his hand, but I did manage to grab it before he got it to his face in order to smell it. And everybody's cracking up. I mean, we're all just losing our shit in the middle of the night, basically. And uh, he's kind of laughing. And he looks at me and he says, man. Or he says, he says, I wondered why it was so bubbly. <laughs> and, and, of course, we just lose it even more. And he finally gets it. And he, and he says, oh, your dog sure pisses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine his surprise when it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> that ain't right. You guys are messed up. Yeah, I know. You would never do anything. <laughs> You'd never do anything. Well, that's okay because uh, you can't do that anymore either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so the day of the shenanigans are over. Is that what your, your point no, is? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, you just have to be more careful with them. I don't, and I don't think you can take shenanigans out of the job or the people that do it. Well, because isn't it a defense? It? Yeah, yeah, it's the defense mechanism, right? right? right. You know, shit happens, and and put, well, and that's that's part of it. Is that you know we get into that, and I think that's one of the biggest problems, and one of the one of the things where uh, Ian's research has has come in, but talking about that. The things that we used to be able to do to cope with the, you know, everything that we, that we see and that dark humor plays a, plays a role in that. And it's, Ian can probably speak better to this through all his, through all his research, but that's probably been one of the biggest changes with, with the profession. Hmm. You know, there's always been things going from police generation to police generation, 
but that ability to to cope or to to make these ex you know exclamations after you know mm. something you know regardless of regardless of what it is it seems like that element has been has been taken from us your thoughts Ian yeah I, I think what you're referring to is some research I did around body cameras and how um, that could impact officers burnout emotional exhaustion that sort of thing and that's true I, I think I don't think that there's any way for me to scientifically say yet that it's you know lack of ability to be humorous but we should remember that you know dark humor permeates first responder and emergency services it's not just police these are your nurses your firefighters anywhere you go doctors er doctors anybody involved in kind of the nitty-gritty parts of human life ends up going to this place of dark humor that's shared among their friends because that's a coping a psychological coping mechanism to deal with the darkness that they're seeing in the world every day so uh, I do think it's, it provides an off-gassing of sorts for, for, for the stress. One of the things that uh, one of the firefighters once said to me was he didn't, he didn't understand how we, meaning the, the police, coped with some of the dark stuff we see. And he pointed out that, you know, we all show up to the same scene. We all see the same nasty stuff. And at the end of that scene, uh, when everybody clears, the firefighters get back into one or two vehicles. They go back to the same station. And they're able to decompress there together and talk about it together. And what does the what does the patrol guy do? What does the officer do? He goes and pulls into a dark alley somewhere with his the ass end of his car backed up so he can't get flanked. And he sits alone and he types the report and he goes 10-8 for the next call, right? And you know, over time I think that that the social aspects of this job are more and more important as we try to understand the effects on at the individual level. So humor is one of those and we'll have it a lot. I mean, this, I kind of took this to a dark place, but humor is what allows us yeah, to survive. And it's the one constant. If you go to an FOP conference, it's the funniest place you're going to have, you know, all year. If you go on a weekend out with your boys to the cabin and, and, and smoke meats all, all weekend, it's going to be the funniest you know, weekend of your year. Why do you always giggle when you say that? Smoke meats because you two just get together and you just love that meat. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's to me, the most important part. I, I left policing in 2016, almost exactly three years ago. But I, I love to stay connected because I love the people. That's what I do in services as the executive director of this organization and why I love the Fraternal Order of Police. You know, it started just over 100 years ago with just two officers who are willing to stand up and, and fight for the, the working conditions of all police officers. And from there, we've grown as a national organization into the largest law enforcement labor organization and the oldest law enforcement labor organization in the, in the world. And we're happy to be, as the Utah Fraternal Order of Police, the representatives of that same tradition. So um, I am constantly surrounded by men and women in this organization who just impressed the hell out of me, impressed me with not only their service every day in their communities, but then they come um, unpaid and you and usually unrecognized for the efforts that they make on behalf of their other officers. And that's what makes us today uh, the preeminent law enforcement or, uh, labor organization in the world. Well, I'm glad that you, that you brought that up because one of the things that, that the national FOP has been striving for and particularly with this with this new board, uh, new national president Pat Yost out of Louisiana and uh, vice president Joe Gamaldi out of Houston. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of you remember seeing Joe 
uh, a couple of times. Before he was vice before, president. Before he was vice president. Sure. But he kind of went through, it was, a, it was, what, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, when uh, they were having some issues down in, in Houston with their with some politicians or some, some news people. And Joe goes on and his, his interview went viral. I mean, it just launched widespread. Joe's goal. And, and one of these future episodes, we're going to have Joe on as a, as a guest, but one of his goals is that information sharing. It's that, it's that getting out there, you know, how many cops in the state of Utah have social media? How many of them? Probably most. Sure. You know, 95, 98%. How are we using that, that social media connection? You know, I, after talking to Joe, we had a meeting a couple of months ago in Nashville and talking to Joe and him explaining to me Twitter. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I, I just, there's just a lot of stuff that, that I don't do. And Twitter's one of them. <laughs> And he explained the importance of it and, and everything like that and how he was trying to get that that big push. Mm-hmm. And so I broke down and signed up a signed up a Twitter account and, and that's how he became had, a Russian asset. <laughs> yeah, I think of, we'd get there today, but yeah, he one of my four followers is, is Russia. And uh, <laughs> it's all, a very all it's a very Russia, slow it's just yeah, all of Russia. Yeah, they all just tap into the well, same I think into the same one. But, it, you know, what I hear there is a lot going back to the beginning of the conversation. There's a generational gap. Like, I'm a lot younger than you and Brett, obviously. Probably wow. 30, 40 years at least. <laughs> okay, I here mean, we I go. Looked, I look younger, <laughs> act younger. But, um, you know, there's, there's a generational gap in social media too. And so I think in order for us to speak to the, the up-and-coming generation of officers, yeah, we have to be on Twitter, obviously. Uh, we have to be on Facebook and, and anywhere else our members are, anywhere the anywhere the profession is, we have to be. That said, it's very difficult. It's difficult to get messages across in a professional and effective way. And that's where I think we've made strides, but we have a long ways to go in terms of our own organization and the national organization. So someone like Joe Gamaldi um, is a perfect fit, I think, at that vice president level to take that messaging to a new level. So I don't know Joe personally. I've, I've only seen him. You know, I watched him. I used to be for this organization, the spokesman. And so I would do a lot of what he was doing, you know, just not nearly as good. And uh, I, I took a lot of tips from Joe. So yeah, he's Joe's, in a good spot. Joe's amazing. And he's actually pushed the the platform. The, the national FOP is now coming out with multiple pushes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook every single day and pushing those out and recognizing that those are, that it's all source based. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that's listening to this, that doesn't, that you're not linked to the national FOP or the Utah FOP on any of those social media platforms, just go through and just go through and, and connect, you know, and, and here's another little secret that I don't know if, if Facebook really wants out there, but they don't charge you for likes or shares. <laughs> you can do that all day long for free. And one day they'll, they'll pick up on that little error and they'll start charging, you know, like a nickel per like, and then you can be a little more discreet on what you want to go through and, and share. But you look at the stuff that, that is, that goes viral. And some of the stuff is, is awesome. And, you know, really good stories or really atrocious stories or things like that. 
But then you look at some of the stuff that sits there. You know, as I look at the National FOP page, there are some things where they'll have thousands of, of likes on it. Then there will be something else where after two or three days, there's like 26. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's an important thing. And I think one of, the, one of the things that this profession, both young and old, need to understand is that if we don't understand what's going on in other places, then how can we, how can we possibly defend against it? You know, what, that's one what of the- What do you mean by that? Well, so twice a year, we have, we have a national board meeting. And a state president's meeting. And in the state president's meeting, all the state presidents from all the states get together and we talk about what's going on in our in our states, whether it's legislative, whether it's politics, whether it's legal, things like that. Mm-hmm. It creates that network where if if we have something starting to to perk up here in Utah. And I know that it's happened in another place, then I can go directly to that sure. to that state and that that lodge president, and we can start talking about how they dealt with that issue. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what it is; it could be it could be any issue. The problem is that we've got that ability to do that more than twice a year. We've got that ability because how many how many times do you walk into a into a report writing room? And this is for the current cops. Yeah, I was going to say this. I, try not to. I'm not allowed in a report writing room. I, I now have to check in at the front <laughs> desk if I right. if I ever swing by. But how many times do you go through or that you're standing, you know, getting a drink and how many cops are scrolling through their social media? You know, and it, part of that is that is that connection, you know, of take a look at the stuff that's that's coming up. So the relationships are important. Like at the national level, is that what I'm hearing you say? Like yeah. you're, you know, you're able to draw on the hard lessons of other states, other lodges. Yeah. Well, and it's like when I got, when I got involved with the, with the FOP, it, it was first when I was hired and it was a, you know, Hey, here's the application. I'm like, what's the FOP? They're like, uh, just sign up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so I signed up. I, I couldn't have told you who the, couldn't have told you who the state FOP president was. I couldn't have told you who the national FOP president was until I started getting involved on on those levels. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that that Pat's looking for, you know, a million people to to find him on social media and to and to like him, but he wouldn't turn it away. Because you mean the Pat Yost, the Pat Yost, national president, right? That's what I'm talking about as far as getting getting information out. Is that it's more than just we can we can push the info all that we want. Mm-hmm. The national FOP can push the info all that they want. But you need engagement from the members. But you need engagement, sure. So one, what do you think about this? One of the one of the things that comes up with our members is social media, and they try and use policies that they don't have. They try and cram them in to fit a policy, and the restriction. I, I'm kind of curious how many departments in the country actually recognize this. It, it's kind of an obscure document written a long time ago. It's called the constitution. And I'm wondering why are officers forced to give up their constitutional rights of free speech and worry about getting in trouble? Now you do dumb stuff. I get it. But in just general, having an opinion, representing an agency, letting anybody know that you're a police officer can get you in internal affairs. This is an active area of um, legal dispute is my understanding. Brett. 
Yeah, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's some controversy about it. Um, you know, certainly on the one hand, anything that would uh, jeopardize or interrupt the mission, you know, is of concern. And I don't hear you talking about that. I, I think you're you're probably pointing at, at those cases where any involvement on on social media or, um, you know, more specifically, uh, for example, talking about the FOP or talking about uh, your affiliation with the FOP, uh, things you're doing for them, taking a stand, a position mm -hmm. with respect to the FOP and, you know, the disconnect that might exist um, between an agency trying to to run, you know, its people and, and further its mission and the constitutionally protected right you have to assembly, to free speech. Those things are, are possessed by all people in this country. And, um, and from time to time, we have to remind uh, organizations of that, uh, agencies of that fact. Yeah, let me be very clear that I see the mission of the Fraternal Order of Police and specifically the Utah Fraternal Order of Police in protecting the constitutional and due process rights of its members. Police officers don't check their constitutional rights at the door just because they put on a uniform or a badge. That said, there are obvious career risks to social media and to sometimes FOP involvement. I've paid that price. I know Jex has paid that price. I have a lot of good friends who have paid that price. And so one of the ways that the I think when I asked you earlier if things gotten better, one of the things that I think has gotten better over time is that as we've expanded our membership from when I joined probably 500, 600 members in 2004, you know, we're at 37, 3,850 3, today. We represent over half the cops in the state. Half of the people wearing badges are represented by our organization today. It's become much more acceptable. And frankly, the last 10 years of um, running the Utah legal plan has changed a lot of that because part of the reason we needed our own legal firm to handle our legal need, the legal needs of our members full time was that there were chiefs and other city executives leader in leadership positions take, you know, not, not respecting the due process rights of officers. Treating their, treating their agencies as little kingdoms where they could do whatever they wanted. And so it wasn't pleasant for Brett Rawson and company to go in there and, and, and make those rights get, represent, get respected. Well, in many cases, you know, it just, it was um, agencies that, that perhaps didn't understand the Constitution, didn't understand how, you know, the interplay uh, between the Constitution and, and the the mission of, you know, the organization, um, how that works. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I don't, I don't read into every encounter with an administration, you know, some sort of uh, nefarious no. intent. A lot of times it was frankly a little bit of ignorance and, um, you know, we've, we've tried to be respectful. Um, there are very few occasions where, you know, you know, it's even been acrimonious and in, and in those particular instances, um, it's because we were put in a position where we had to fight and we had to, you know, take things all the way to uh, an appellate court. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes there's a need for appellate review just because the status of the law on some of these questions mm -hmm. is, is nebulous. And uh, but but I, things are improving, I would say, in on the one hand, you asked earlier and I might just pick up your question to Brent, you know, from my perspective, uh, what has improved is that we're we're seeing the development of 
law in the state of Utah um, that really identifies the contours, the parameters of where that due process, uh, you know, begins and ends and uh, what, you know, lawyers can do for their clients in this in this particular instance. Um, our firm represents cops day in and day out. And I, you know, I, I, I like to remind people that, you know, I feel like sometimes folks that, that don't interact with lawyers, you know, might think all lawyers are the same. You know, they're no more the same than doctors are the same. You know, you don't, I say this all the time, you don't go to a heart surgeon for, you know, a brain tumor. You know, there's specialties. And this is very much our, and has become our specialty uh, for going on a decade. Uh, we represent cops. We represent them in the context of internal affairs, in officer-involved critical incidents, um, the types of problems and concerns facing the careers of, uh, of, of certified individuals, law enforcement officers. And uh, they have a, you know, a possessory interest in their certifications. They, um, you know, they, they could be scrutinized by peace officer standards and training. Um, you know, there may be even even be um, criminal implications with respect to the allegations that are made. And so each one of the lawyers in the firm has dozens and dozens of cases that are police specific. They are internal affairs or otherwise involve the lives of law enforcement officers. And that's different than if you go into I, I, I would, you know, I would be shocked if you could walk into another firm certainly anywhere in the state, um, and there are only a few in the nation that do that kind of specific work at the level that we do. Yeah. And so today, I mean, we are coming up, it occurred to me as I was walking up here, that we're coming up on a decade of this type of work. And we started with just you sleeping on the floor <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in our basement office over in Taylorsville. Uh, for the first year, do you sleep on a lot of floors still, or yeah, what's not, going on? Not so much. And it actually, you know, um, even before I was uh, I was inside at, at FOP, you know, I had a little law firm in, in Cottonwood Heights, and that's really where it began. I remember um, Brent uh, coming over, and um, at the time I was in Police Academy, so this is this is way back in the beginning, and I remember <laughs> I remember being late to the academy, you know, I was, I was doing night school, put myself through and I was a full-time attorney at the time. So I had a full caseload at work and working hard downtown, um, in the salt mines. And, uh, I, I'm rushing to get to the academy and I'm in the parking lot and, uh, a tall, scary bearded man <laughs> was stalking me in the parking lot. Happens to be sitting in this room. He planned three ways to kill you already. Yeah, yeah. you know, he pulled up in his in his uh, his his black uh, you know SUV and you know that has probably thirty eight guns in it at all times, and <laughs> and I managed to find like two of them, you know, on a search. But anyway, uh, it was the academy, and I was there late, and uh, I happened to ask him, you know, hey. Uh, I represent cops in the context of, of municipal work in these 1983 cases, but I can imagine sometimes you know, the agency and the, uh, the officer don't see eye to eye on a few things. So what happens when the officer's on his own? Who represents the little guy? He looks at me and he basically, not basically, I think this is a quote. He says, 
are you stupid? (laughs) (laughs) We might want that one in the can too. (laughs) And I said, uh, well, sir, I mean, it's subjective. I mean, what are we talking about? He says, well, didn't you just pull up in that mercury over there? You know, I was at the time, you know, I was not long at a law school way back at this this time. I had had an old mercury that I bought in New Jersey. And there's a New Jersey Fraternal Order of Police sticker on the car. (laughs) And he goes, don't you have that car over there with the FOP sticker on it? I'm like, with a FOP? I don't know what the FOP, the FOP came with the car. I don't know. He goes, well, look, look, that's the Fraternal Order Police. And then he points to another frightening individual. And that was uh, my other instructor that happened to be Brent Jex. And he goes, you got to go talk to that guy. I go, okay, what does he do? He says, well, he happens to be vice president of the Utah Fraternal Order Police. And the rest was kind of history because once – um, Brent and I started talking and, and, you know, he can fill in some of the details of that. But at the time, the organization was looking for some help, looking for a way to basically increase the level of service on the legal front. And here I was just trying to increase the database of information I had personally in my representation or for my representation of law enforcement, not knowing particularly what I was going to do with it. Mm. And that was the origins of what became the Utah uh, state legal plan. Yeah, and, and and here we are today. Uh, how many full time attorneys you got on the firm? Now? Seven, um, we, and we have conflict counsel uh, throughout the state. And you what's, know, help, help, what's conflict counsel? So <clears throat> the way it works is uh, anybody that is a member of uh, the FOP in Utah, and and they're in a lodge that has opted into the legal plan, they have um, benefits through uh, the services of the legal plan that I administer. And the law firm is Nelson Jones. And so they can come to the firm for those legal problems. But just like with every lawyer looking at or screening a case, they have to evaluate whether or not there's a legal conflict or potential conflict. And conflicts arise, you know, if, if I was going to describe it in the context of an OICI, you know, usually all the bullets are going the same direction for the same reason. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, there's a set of facts where you go, wow, you know, this is this is so complex and you know there are some nuances or some difficulties with this and and there could be a potential conflict and i think back to the um whose whose interests are conflicted there well it's 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 really it's the the interests of the client which is paramount and so for example we were concerned about a potential conflict um, in the in the neighborhood uh, narcotic unit uh, West Valley case sure. uh, back in 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a, there were a couple officers involved there, and we went to conflict counsel uh, for one of those officers. We represented one; they represented the other, and because we had experience in in shootings, I mean, by this point, we've represented well over a hundred officers in in uh, OISs or OICIs throughout the state. You know, we're force science certified. You know, some of us are uh, current or former law enforcement officers at the firm. And so we, we've we been able to develop sort of a our own internal, proto- internal protocol to determine, is there a potential for conflict in this case? And so we have lawyers who are outside of the law firm, nevertheless, have agreed to work with us as conflict counsel and we can go to them in the in the event that that occurs and there there are half a dozen of those folks kind of throughout the state and 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 my understanding is you know you you get a a lawyer onto the scene of these 
officer involved critical incidents? We have a 24-7, 365 emergency line, um, you know, that officers carry with them and uh, we respond. And, and the reason why we respond quickly and, and again, you know, I'm a I'm a, for, a former law enforcement officer. Actually, it looks like I'm going to be a reserve again. I haven't told you guys that, but it looks like I'm heading back. <laughs> uh, just can't just can't get away from it. And, you know, we have another reserve. Uh, we have a, a former Pocatello officer, you know, mm -hmm. who's a lawyer in the firm. Um, you know, we're we're accustomed to responding when our brothers and sisters need help. And yeah. we respond, you know, 1033. I mean, 10, 1078 expedite. We, that's how we go. And it doesn't matter if that if that phone call's coming in two o'clock in the morning. I mean, how many people, you know, just in a general audience can make a phone call and have a lawyer you know, in 15 minutes, right. you know, and, and we really have striven to create that type of service. So we sure. go, we go quickly. And the reason is that there's always a concern about uh, just the emotion of the circumstances, people um, kind of running their mouths. Not that, you know, our guys have anything to hide. They don't, but it makes the investigation all the more difficult if they're kind of yapping. And yeah. so we get there and try to Help them. I was actually uh, asked to go speak to the the troopers class uh, here this last week or yesterday, day before, and uh, as usual, I was just so floored by the willingness of the young men. It was all men in this particular group, uh, willing to step up into a difficult career. Like I look out at their faces, but I, I got told a story by uh, one of their guys there that was uh, not a recruit. You know, he was a he was a probably seven eight year troop. And uh, he talked about his shooting and uh, how he wasn't an FOP member at the time. And uh, he waited four days to hear, to get a call from this, uh, this older, old style of uh, uh, legal coverage for officers involved in those critical incidents and how it, how it felt to wait for four days. Now, he had happened to speak to our good friend Brad to my left, and Brad had made a call explain the situation and we were able to that time you know get brett rossman involved i think i was actually in disney world oh, were you? when i got that call but because we have the firm and we have so many people willing and ready you know yeah. to to assist i was able to then relay that to uh, another attorney in my firm who was able to take some action there yeah and brett uh, or brent uh do you play softball here you go <laughs> no why do cops even need lawyers? Isn't it enough? Isn't the isn't the investigation fair enough? I mean, why would you need to go go get yourself a badass uh, uh, Cuban lawyer to? <laughs> Not Cuban man. <laughs> My Puerto Rican ancestors are rolling in their graves right now. But thanks why, for that. Close you, enough. Why'd you have to go? Uh, why do we? Why did you want a FOP to have local control over this process? Why do we need? Why do we need seven lawyers? Isn't aren't the cops? Does that mean the cops aren't doing their job or what's going on? Well, I think the hours that they log will explain why we need seven <laughs> seven lawyers. The The process began probably in 2006, 2007, when we started looking at, at some things and we had some, we had some officers get into, into some trouble and there were a, there were a variety of things happening. It wasn't the, it wasn't the same as it is today, administrative wise. I mean, how many in this audience got called into an office and said, okay, this is not an IA. This is not a da, 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 da. And then they start the recording and they say, this is so-and-so I got an IA number. I got to know Ross. Did they ever try that with you? Anybody ever try anything with you? You mean while I was on the job? Yeah. 
Uh, there was <laughs> there was an interesting circumstance. Yeah. And um, I asked him if I needed a civil rights attorney for myself. And then everybody started giggling. And I, I think that was the end of that the inquiry. The yeah, yeah. But I didn't do anything wrong to my of course. credit. Yeah. No, I didn't think it even for a second. <laughs> But for um, the audience, uh, there were a lot of hands around the table that may have been called into that circle. <laughs> um, but we but we started looking at it, and we could kind of see we could kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, we had a lot of administrations back then that are not the same as they are today. Um, we have a lot as I go through and think about all the the chiefs and sheriffs and and directors that we have now their quality has gone up substantially. We have a lot of really good, solid leaders out there. Um, and a lot of good, solid leaders that, that want to, that are passionate about, about their officers and their officers well-being. And that being said, there's still, there's still a, a lack of understanding that the officer's best interests are not the same as the agencies in all, in all things. But when you, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about critical incidents. Let's talk about, uh, officer involved shootings. There's a, there's kind of an interesting phenomenon out there that the FOP has this do not talk, you know, in under any circumstance. And, and there's this whole little I mean, side there's a belief that the FOP has that. Yeah. yeah. The, it's the, it's the rumor. It's the floating rumor. Well, before and, you, I, I get where you're going with that, but let me just ask you to differentiate here so so you know a trigger's pulled on the job okay what starts what's the next what what happens i think that's important for people to understand from the agency side or the fop side from the investigation side like what what kind of investigations are occurring why are they are they the same or is are there important differences that might invoke why agency and individual officers rights might or or, uh sorry interests might be um, a little at odds. Well, I don't know it even if at odds, but yeah, it, it's you know not, I mean? it's it, not it, at a, odds. We take but, my, my point here is that we meaning, you know, within the FOP and legal community take certain knowledge for granted that isn't necessarily understood at a deep level. The, 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 the sheer complexity that goes into a, an officer involved shooting investigation. Well, let me, let me kind of throw this back. You know, when, when you were involved in yours, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of, there were a lot of things that happened and, and you know, as well as anybody, the, the emotional roller coasters that, that happen on, on scene, you've got adrenaline dumps, you've got, I mean, you're trying to do a public safety statement, you know, and making sure that, that they're at least the direction of all the rounds are accounted for and that there's not somebody, you know, two blocks over that's, you know, the, the caught one. And so those those types of things are important. The problem is that when you get those emotional those emotional dumps, mm-hmm. when you get that adrenaline dump, your brain has trouble with its filter, and you start rattling off stuff. And that and anybody that's been through force science or, or that understands the complexities of what your mind does knows that there there are things that you may that you may instantly think that you're remembering that were not part of it at all. And if you start if you start down that road, then it really causes causes problems. Sure. Let me. Um, so, so a shooting occurs. Sorry, I, I I didn't softball it enough. 
a shooting occurs, there's a civil investigation, an administrative investigation. There's and an the, internal investigation and then a criminal investigation. And a criminal investigation. And so, the criminal investigation is where that is where that comes in. And that's where the that's really where the the interests of the officer come a, come to play because the Supreme Court has said time and time again that we are not as police officers, we're not entitled to a lesser version of of our rights. Mm-hmm. And that in no other criminal investigation are the the subjects of that investigation lambasted by anybody mm-hmm. for not giving a, a statement or giving a delayed statement. Because once that statement's out there, it can't you can't unring that bell. And you're talking about a statement in the criminal investigation. In the criminal investigation. And that may be way off base, but those officers that you start your shift with and you may go to roll call with, um, as soon as this happens, you're not one of them anymore. You're isolated. You feel isolated, and you're the subject of an investigation by homicide detectives. Yeah, the you're, department's not a subject of that. Yeah, you are. You're under criminal investigation for at least attempted homicide at that point, possibly homicide. Yeah, well, that's the that's the investigation. Is it's a homicide investigation, and then the investigation is to determine whether it was a justifiable homicide or not. Right, and. And, and so, that's where it that's where it comes in, and that's where I think the the initial breakdown begins. But if if administrators understood that everything that we do, when and and it's a it's a proven fact that a, a rigorous defense of the officer involved helps the agency as well. Sure, it it helps it through in in pending civil litigation. It it helps it with with everything. The agencies that pay out more in civil. Civil problems or the the uh, that have PR problems or anything mm-hmm. like that are the ones that throw their officer under the bus. Right. So so there's so here locally um, in Utah at least there is a different protocol than is necessary uh, necessarily true in other regions or or states. Here we have a protocol team at least within the Salt Lake Valley, um, and those protocol teams exist in other counties as well. So an officer involved shooting in Salt Lake County is investigated by multiple members of outside agencies. Is that right? Correct. And that's part of the criminal investigation? That's the criminal investigation. Okay. And Brett, so if a chief comes to the shooter and says, hey, I I need you to come talk to my internal affairs guys, do you just say absolutely not? No, uh, you can't refuse to do that because if internal affairs wants to talk, they're going to invoke something known as Garrity. Garrity v. New Jersey. It's a Supreme Court case and you can Google it. But the bottom line is it affords some protections to the officer. And and one of those protections is that, you know, if if placed under Garrity or given a Garrity warning or Garrity admonition, the information that that officer provides cannot be turned over uh, to the criminal investigation team. It cannot be turned over to the prosecutor. And the public policy consideration behind that is that we want to know what our officers are up to. We want to know what they're doing, why they do the things that they do. And yet they're at risk of potentially, you know, criminal implications if they are compelled to go against their Fifth Amendment interests. So the trade-off is uh, you get to compel me to talk in an IA context. Right. Um, but you can't use that against me in a criminal context, provided I show up and tell the truth. And so we would never advise an officer not to provide a statement in a Garrity interview. But again, that's that's a very rare occurrence in the context 
of an OIS. There are only just a few agencies that even ever conduct a formal internal affairs investigation because most agencies are uh, find it sufficient to just wait await the outcome of the protocol team investigation, which is a criminal investigation. And in that context, it's just like any citizen essentially being accused of a crime. You are, even though you are in your uniform, you pulled your weapon because you had to, to defend yourself or another, and you either took a life or attempted to do so, you are in the same position as every other citizen in this state or in this nation with respect to the exposure you now have criminally. Right. And so in that context, find me a criminal defense attorney that takes a client who is accused of murder or attempted murder, attempted homicide. And probably committed the underlying act. Maybe. Not the legal, yeah. not the not the uh, mens rea sort of like and, you know, criminal and, act. And then that lawyer says, yes, yeah, spill your guts to the cops. Yeah, cooperate. Yeah, I mean that there's there's been a long history of you know and and it's controversial because we all of our clients want to cooperate. Mm -hmm. All of them do. And everybody wants to tell their story uh, because they feel personally very justified uh in in the actions uh, that they've taken. But times have changed and to ignore that in the state of Utah uh, is to is to bury your head in the sand. Uh, this is not the same world that we had prior to Ferguson. Um, it changes every year. You know, we now have prosecutors. And I read this one uh, that was forwarded to me just the other day. This guy out of Hennepin County. Um, you know, this is a this is in the I think Minnesota. This Minnesota. guy Brown. You know, he's basically saying that officers don't have, you know, Fourth Amendment rights when it comes to searches of their phones. And and his goal, his purported goal is that the phone may have indicators of intent as it relates to a criminal investigation in a shooting. So he feels entitled to invade the personal effects of a police officer without any discussion as to whether or not that phone is a company phone or whether that phone is a personal phone, right. he just wants it. And most officers I know to that point have a personal phone and understand that there's legal implications. Well, for but it. that's what, and specifically up in, in Minnesota, that's what he's talking about is that he he's saying, because he wants to find out, okay, we're just prior to the shooting or, or the incident, you know, within a couple of hours, were you, were you texting somebody, you know, what was, what was your emotional standpoint going into that? And he and he's taking completely. How about he look at the call log and see how many terrible calls that guy had to go on? You know? Well, but well, there's call logs, but there's a but there's a Supreme Court no, ruling. Just, yeah. It's you know Riley versus California, and I think it's a Ninth 2014 yeah. mm -hmm. or, or something like that, where the Supreme Court said, no, you can't you can't just arbitrarily search that without a warrant you and don't, without establishing probable cause for having that. Yeah, that you don't on. park your rights outside of the station when you go in and put your gear on and become a police officer in America. You're still an American citizen, a citizen of your state. There are constitutions that protect you. And extraordinarily, this guy basically says, no, you don't have a right to privacy in your the things on your phone if you're a cop. That's what he's saying. Yeah, I think that that's, um, 
to to kind of wrap up here a good point the 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 we have constitutional rights that is the FOPs and, and Ian I I want to clear something up you know because there's been sort of you know rumors about gonna, this let me ask you a question yeah <laughs> in, when a shooting sure. occurs do you just walk in and start ordering guys not to talk is that what happens no I mean they're typically the people that we deal with uh, even you know uh, those in rural agencies that maybe have not experienced and OIS before, um, most of the time we find very reasonable professional people who care about their members um, and want the best for them. And, and it's that frame of reference that we go in and do our lawyer stuff. And our lawyer stuff is just to make sure that the member is safe, secluded away from people that, you know, we don't want there to be any implication that, uh, that, that he or she spoke to somebody that, that, you know, and talked about things they weren't supposed to. And then there's kind of a cooling off period. There's a, there's a two or three day sleep cycle that people need before they can really render the most effective statement. And there's psychological reasons for that. And we, you know, we're in agreement with the agencies that they should be given that time to decompress and prepare to give a statement if they want to, but they get to choose. The lawyers don't choose for them. They get to choose. What we have to do is advise and advise about the environment that we're in. Maybe it's a political environment, you know, this post-Ferguson environment. Here are all the things that could go wrong. Sure. Make the best decision you can and whatever you decide to do, whether you make a statement or not, we will support that decision. Well, and, and it's worth pointing out that the firm and its attorneys have the most experience. I mean, clearly in Utah, I, 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 don't know of a firm in the United States that, that does this like you guys do at a full-time basis for that many officers covering that many critical incidents. So if anybody has the advice that should be trusted, it's you. I've been through there with your firm and with you, you know, um, I understand how those processes and those discussions take place. You know, um, my shooting took place just two weeks before Ferguson. So we were very much, you know. So was, you were the one that kicked it off. Yeah. I mean, if you, like as usual. If you needed a, a new policy, but you know, from an organizational standpoint, every member of the executive board, every member of a local board that I have ever spoken to is concerned with one thing and that is protecting their members. And that includes their constitutional rights when they need to be invoked in that manner. I think I, I thank both you and uh, Jex for taking the time to talk today about uh, officers' rights in, in the event of critical incidents. We'll have some more discussion about um, sort of the administrative and civil stuff that goes on. That'll, that's usually a, a live um, topic for us. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today, this is Covered with the Utah Fraternal Order of Place. My name's Ian Adams. I'm your executive director. I was joined today by Brent Jex and Brett Rawson, both members of the executive board. Uh, and of course, Brad Marshall, the president of the, uh, the Troopers Lodge 32. Uh, if you like us, please subscribe. Uh, no matter what format you're on, you can find us on, of course, Apple, Google, uh, Stitcher, and all the other I Love Radio type podcasts. Uh, my name's Ian Adams, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.